0: morning everybody hello John John is a great encourager sitting in the front row so um, it's always a pleasure to come and to be up here and to speak the word of God and uh, thank you Sauria for reading that and I apologize for uh, making you read all those names Um, you know it's uh, whenever we get to the names in fact we this happened a couple of days ago when we were in the book of Ezra and actually yesterday baby, where you know the kids always go dad it's all names can we skip right I'm sure I'm sure all of you have that happen I'm sure all of you did it when you were a kid I did it too right and now your kids are doing it to you right can we skip that because it's all names so anyway all that aside uh, we are now in the in the story of uh, uh, continuing in this in our series on the uh, the acts of Christ and the apostles, right? And we've come to uh, very slowly, it seems, uh, to Luke chapter 3. And, uh, you know, the good news is that the story should get uh, a lot faster from here. We're coming to that critical part where Jesus is starting his, uh, his earthly ministry or his public ministry, uh, rather. So before we get into it, I just want to do a quick uh, recap so, uh, you know, what is the story thus far, right? And I've just put down some of the key things and all of these are, uh, you know, a lot of what's up on the slides will align with what's in those uh, the, the handout that was given to you and, uh, you know, encourage you to take notes as we go. So some of the key events, uh, very quickly, just to get us to this point in the story, you know, we had the angel Gabriel, right? The angel Gabriel comes and announces the birth of John the Baptist, to Zachariah who was a priest and we know that whole story and then immediately after that we saw that the same angel Gabriel he announces the conception of Christ to Mary a virgin who is betrothed or engaged in our terminology to be married to this man Joseph of the house of David and then after that we see John is born and then Jesus is born and the angels go and announce Uh, his his birth to the shepherds you know glory to God in the highest and and then the shepherds go and visit the Lord Jesus in the stable Uh, and then we see that Jesus is brought as a baby to the temple to be circumcised and uh, that's where Simeon and Anna and others they come and make some prophecies about him and uh, they're rejoicing uh, that the savior has been born into the world the promised savior uh, of uh, of God and then you know, then we don't hear much and then immediately we fast forward about uh, 12 years when Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, almost a teenager, and he comes with his father and mother uh, to Jerusalem into the temple to, uh, to celebrate the Passover and uh, uh, the Passover festival. And then we see that he stays back, right? He stays back and causes some consternation to his parents because they are not able to locate him. Uh, on their way back and they have to return and they find jesus sitting in the temple uh teaching right teaching the the pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law and they were all it says that they were all astonished uh at his knowledge uh, just as a 12 year old now of course we know uh, this is the son of god and then you know last week uh, uh, charlie took us through the the ministry of john the baptist so we still haven't gotten to uh Jesus ministry and what we read uh there is that after you know after Jesus were had uh had uh, uh was was you know was found by his parents in the temple uh and he tells them you know why did you seek me did you not know that I must be about my father's business but it says they did not understand the statement and then we are told that they went back to Nazareth which is where they were from they were living in Nazareth and And it says that Jesus was subject to his parents, right? It says he was subject to them, his father and his mother, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. So that was the last time that we saw Jesus, right? He was this 12-year-old boy. He had caused all this this trouble and commotion for his parents and in the temple and then they've gone back and, and then we don't hear anything about Jesus for about the next 18 years. So where we are today is about 18 years later and during this time, you know, John the Baptist has become an adult and he's out ministering. And as we saw last week, he was, he was baptizing uh, the baptism. He was preaching the baptism of repentance. So, so we are now in this section uh, which starts in chapter 3 and goes all the way to chapter 4 and verse 13, where Luke, remember Luke is writing this to a Greek believer by name Theophilus. Uh, and uh, and Luke is, is spends the, the, this section, chapter 3, the early part, the first two chapters were all about the birth of Jesus, the birth of John, a little bit of introduction of the different characters that were involved. Uh, and here, in this section from Luke 3 to Luke 4 and verse 13, Luke is showing Theophilus how Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture, how Jesus is the promised Messiah for whom John was preparing the way as a prophet, uh, as prophesied in scripture, and that Jesus was qualified to represent both the nation of Israel as her Messiah and to represent humanity as Savior in God's plan of salvation. So that's the scene where we are at here is about 18 years after that incident in the temple. And, uh, you know, 18 years have passed uh, and Jesus has been at home probably learning the trade of the carpenter like his father Joseph. We we don't have any record of what happened during those years. Uh, And then he comes back onto the scene, and now he's a young man, right? He's not that 12-year-old boy anymore. He's grown up. uh, He's almost 30 years old. Uh, If you look at that part that we read right before the genealogy, at the time that Jesus starts his ministry, he's a 30-year-old young man. And as Jesus begins his public ministry, he's about to, embark on that you know we're not going to hear much about john anymore from now forward in the gospel of luke it's going to be all about the the lord jesus right and his ministry so we find that as jesus beginning his public ministry luke uh, begins his narrative of this phase by writing to theophilus about three specific things that serve to again establish who jesus is so if we can Yeah, so uh, Luke talks about three specific narratives, and uh, I'll just quickly go through them. The first one, you know, uh, uh, the first one there is about the baptism of Jesus, right, which we're going to talk about today. But just to go back a little bit, you know, it's important to see that if we go back to the beginning of Luke, um, you know, uh, we see that establishing the origins and the person of Jesus, um, you know, who Jesus is, right, who is this man? Uh, was a very important part of Luke's agenda, right? He felt the need to explain to Theophilus, you know, a background, right? So when you look at each of the gospel writers, they're very different. You know, see, for example, Matthew gives a little more of the background. Mark gives hardly any background. He jumps right into the the public ministry of Christ. Uh, John uh, you know, doesn't give much of a background. He just jumps right in and says, Jesus is God. Right in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and then he goes right into the, the the incidents that happened, the various incidents in the ministry uh, of Jesus. But when we go back to the beginning of Luke, we find that uh, establishing the origins and the person uh, of Jesus, who Jesus is, is a very important part of Luke's agenda here. The announcement, we see the announcement of the virgin Conceiving by the Holy Spirit and giving birth to one who will be called the Son of God, we find the birth of Christ accompanied by the announcement to the shepherds of him being the Saviour who is born in the city of David. We find the prophecy of Simeon that this baby uh, that he was holding was you know he 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 recites a passage from the Old Testament and says that this is your salvation. Uh, we see Jesus himself in the temple saying that his real father is God. And then, you know, when we look at Mark and John, they don't present any of these things. John starts with the assertion that, that, that Jesus is God. Uh, so each each gospel writer is, has a different agenda. And when we put all these together, we get sort of a holistic view of the life and ministry of Christ. So after all of that background and establishing who Jesus is, you know, Luke wants to further establish the identity of Jesus right before his his public ministry with these three incidents or these three narratives first one is the baptism by John which was accompanied by an affirmation from God of Jesus as his beloved son so this we find in in a couple of verses there in chapter 3 verses 21 and 22 and that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning and then we have his genealogy right which we'll also look at today which again establishes Uh, the messianic line of christ all the way through david and abraham but then he goes beyond that to adam as well thus establishing jesus as not only the jewish messiah the son of david but also as a fulfillment of the promise to abraham and not just that but also as a representative of the entire human race and thus he is the one who is eligible to be the savior of the entire human race, and then the third narrative, which we'll look at next week, I think Brother Jerry is going to speak to us on that section or that story, is the temptation of Christ, whereby he he shows his ability to overcome temptation as a man, right? And he shows that though he was a man, you know, he was also without sin. He was his sinlessness uh, comes to the fore in that narrative. So these are three things that that the the writer Luke wants to bring before. Theophilus before he launches into a description of the actual ministry of jesus so then he proceeds to, after that to write about the ministry of jesus so we're going to start off by looking at at these uh, uh these two uh verses here in luke chapter three which is the narrative of the baptism of jesus now the good thing is that the baptism of jesus was covered in all the four gospels that's why i had uh, saudia read all of them Uh, because each of them give a slightly different um, angle to it there's obviously the base of the story is is common you know we have Jesus going in the water him getting baptized and then uh, the heavens opening and the Holy Spirit coming down but each of them fill out a little bit more additional detail right Uh, perhaps with the exception of John who doesn't actually uh, write about the baptism itself but in the in the gospel of John we find John the Baptist sort of retrospectively describing uh, what happened at the baptism. We don't actually read there about Jesus coming and actually you know, going through that process of, of getting baptized. So what I want to do is start off with just presenting some uh, facts. Let's get this working. Can you guys move the slide for me, please? Thank you. So there are some key events, right? And what I've done here is just to go through all of them. We're not going to go through all the verses uh, today. Uh, I mean, in the message, but you know i've gone through matthew mark luke and john and noted down some of the key events that happened uh, in each of these narratives so it's sort of a synthesis of the baptism narratives from the four gospels so there several points that we find here first is that jesus came from galilee so if we go to matthew chapter 3 verse 13 and mark chapter 1 verse 9 we find jesus coming from galilee to john at the jordan to be baptized so jesus was the one who initiated this remember john was out there calling people to repentance. And, you know, Jesus wasn't just one of the crowd who heard the message and came. Jesus very, very deliberately, he went to, there, went to that place in the Jordan, you know, coming from Galilee, from Nazareth, looking for John to be baptized. So this was something the Lord Jesus himself initiated, right? And then we see in, in Matthew 3, 14, and Sauria read this for us, when, when Jesus came, along with everybody else, he came to John and of course, Jesus and John were cousins, so they probably knew each other. You would have assumed they would have gotten together at some family gatherings, perhaps there's none of this in scripture, uh, but it's reasonable to assume that, right? They were, they were cousins and uh, John tried to stop Jesus from getting baptized, right? So perhaps John uh, might have spent time with Jesus. And remember, John was calling out to all these sinners, right? He calls them brood of vipers and all these kind of things and and all these people who are who are into sin. And he's asking them to repent. And his baptism, uh, we, we saw last week, was a baptism of repentance. And, and he's like, Jesus comes in and he's like, wow, what, what, is, what, what are you doing here, right? Um, you know, he looks up and it's his cousin Jesus. And of course, he knows his character. Uh, from the Gospel of John, it becomes apparent that perhaps it wasn't quite clear to John at the time that Jesus was actually the Messiah, right? But he knew certain things about Jesus. And he says, you don't need to be baptized. In fact, you are much greater. Right. And you need to baptize me. So uh, so Jesus, uh, you know, John clearly felt that Jesus did not need to repent. He had no need of repentance uh, and he didn't need to be baptized. Right. So then we see, though, what Jesus says. Right. And maybe I'll just turn there. Matthew chapter three, verse 15. And uh, we'll look at this in in detail a little later. But Matthew chapter three and verse 15. 15 uh, just look at Jesus's response there and uh, Jesus says in Matthew 3 and verse 15 yeah he says uh, but Jesus answered and said to him permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he that is then John allowed him or allowed Jesus to be baptized right permit it to be so now for thus It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus asked John to permit him to be baptized. And uh, therefore, what we can draw from this is that Jesus considered this baptism to be a necessary thing, right? A necessary part of his initiation into his work and his public ministry. And it's a bit of a mysterious statement that Jesus makes, but we'll come back and look at it a little later. Okay, then we find that back to Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, that Jesus was praying while he was being baptized. Okay, he was communing with God, uh, the Father. And while Jesus prayed, we also saw in Mark chapter 1 verse 10, that while Jesus prayed, the heaven was opened. And Jesus looked up and he saw the heavens parting. Okay, and then um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form, and that bodily form was in the form of a dove, right? And in Matthew 3.16 and Mark 1.10, it says very clearly that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus as he came up out of the water. So Jesus goes into the water, he's baptized by John, he comes out of the water, and as he's coming out, as he's ascending from the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him, And the bodily form of the Holy Spirit uh, that descended was in the form of a dove. We see that in Matthew three sixteen. And why is it a dove? We don't really know. And there are a lot of theories on this. I don't think it's that that uh, important. It was an indication uh, of the anointing of Jesus with the Spirit at the start of his public ministry. In fact, Jesus later in Luke chapter four, verse eighteen, you know, he quotes an Old Testament passage which says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because." He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So at the time that the Holy Spirit descended, the last important thing we see here is that a voice comes from heaven. And the voice says, you are or this is my beloved son in you or in whom I am well pleased. And we find this in Luke and Matthew and Mark in the three synoptic gospel narratives. And and if you break that up, you know, it says that you are my beloved son or this is my beloved son. And shows the intimacy between the father and the son. It reveals a glimpse into the love attribute of God. You know, we read that God is love. That's one of his attributes. It's an intrinsic part of his nature. And then it says in you or in whom I am well pleased. So God the father took pleasure in the son. God the father was pleased with the son. The father, the son bought pleasure to the father because of what he was doing on earth, right? Emptying himself and making himself of no reputation as we read in Philippians 2 verse 7 and 8. Taking the form of a bond servant and humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. So the son pleased the father because he willingly played his role in the father's plan of salvation even though it cost him much, even though it cost him his life. So both these phra- phrases also reflect messianic statements from the Old Testament. So if you go back to Psalm 2.7, it refers to uh, the Messiah as the Son, right? When you go to uh, Isaiah 42.1, you know, it uh, speaks of Jesus, a prophecy of Jesus as the elect servant who will bring justice to the Gentiles and the one in whom God's soul delight so both of these aspects of that voice from heaven that he is my son my beloved son and i am pleased with him is again in many ways a fulfillment of what was said of the lord jesus in the in the old testament so and then one final point on this is is you know we uh, in when we go to the gospel of john uh, chapter 1 verse 32 to 34 it says that that john that is john the the baptizer he saw The spirit descending like a dove. Right there he's relating back to what he saw at the baptism. uh, When he baptized Jesus. And he says I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. Upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. That is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Now he says this when Jesus comes by. And he he points to his disciples and he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world." He says, "He is the one, right? He is the one that I've been talking about, who is going to, um, you know, who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, right? Whose sandals I'm not worthy to remove." So John has been told by God that the person on whom the Spirit descends in this way is the one who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God. So Scripture does not actually tell us that that John heard the voice of God and other than John who saw the dove descend on Jesus there is no indication from any of the other gospels that uh, you know that that people actually others that people around the crowd had any indication of what had happened so you know we don't hear we don't see there is no recorded reaction by the crowd I'm sure if people had heard this voice perhaps that would have been noted Uh, so very much as we look at these narratives it appears that this moment was a very private moment uh, between the father and the son along with the intervention of the holy spirit and again we'll look at some of the meanings of that right now one of the things that that people always wonder is you know why did jesus get baptized you know very often i've gotten that question well, why did jesus need to get baptized it often bothers people right because we associate as rightly you know the baptism of john with uh, uh, with repentance, right? Did that mean that Jesus needed to be repented? Well, before we get into the why, let's make sure that we are clear uh, on the why not, okay? But scripture doesn't explicitly state why Jesus had to be baptized, but we can deduce a few things on this point. So the first thing is, you know, um, <clears throat> before I get into the actual points of why he might have gotten baptized, you know, he didn't get baptized because he had repented of sins. Of course, Jesus was without sin, right? Uh, it would violate the truth that, that, uh, that Jesus was God and therefore sinless. It would make his sacrificial death invalid. In fact, John was reluctant to baptize Jesus because he knew that, that you know, he didn't have sin, right? He didn't have anything to repent of. And Jesus himself declares that this baptism was part of the plan of God. Right. And then when we think about baptism in scripture, uh, it's always an act that outwardly depicts something else. Right. When we take believers baptism, which is not the same as the baptism of John, uh, it outwardly depicts an internal reality that I have trusted in Christ's work for my salvation. And I show that by going through this external ritual. Okay, so Jesus, by specifically insisting that John baptize him, you know, I believe he was trying to depict something else. It was meant to symbolize something else. And what could that be? Well, the first point is, is up on the slide there, is that Jesus was identifying himself with the sinners for whom he was going to die very soon, right? Sinners who needed repentance. You know, though he was not a sinner, he was incarnated as fully a man, right? The narrative of Jesus' life by Luke brings out several things that show us his humanity. Luke goes out of his way to to emphasize the humanity of christ in fact the theme of luke is about is christ as the man right john's theme was christ as god matthew's theme was christ as uh, as the king and mark's theme was christ uh, as the servant so here we find a lot of things for example you know immediately in the next uh, passage that we look at next week you know luke presents the fact that jesus got hungry Right Luke again and again, goes back to the fact that Jesus was praying. you know, did Jesus need to pray? He was always He was God, right? He was in in, in communion with the Father, and yet we find him praying like any other human being. We, we find uh, Luke telling us about uh, Jesus' sorrow, right? Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. So through all of these, you know, uh, Luke goes out of his way to identify. Uh, you know to show that jesus was identifying himself with fallen humanity so his baptism along uh, with all the other people who were repenting you know was essentially doing the same thing right being baptized with sinners also shows us the humility of christ you know he was showing that he was humbling himself to become just like the people that he was coming to redeem okay the second point the second reason that that jesus might have Gotten baptized is that he was validating the message of John the baptizer that salvation required true repentance and turning back on sin, which was evidenced by fruit uh, in life. Now let me move on and talk about a third reason, which I think uh, you know to me this is the one that that really um, you know that I feel really reflects what Jesus was trying to do. Then that is that perhaps it was also a symbolic preview a foreshadowing of what was to happen to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'll be careful to say that this analogy is not explicitly explained in Scripture, but it fits the elements of the story. You know, um, you know, Jesus was about to go to the cross. He was about to die, right, in a few years after his ministry. He was about to be resurrected, and that was the crux of why he came to the, the world. His death, resurrection... And then the acceptance of his sacrifice by God. So this baptism, you know, to me is, is depicting that, right? When we look at Jesus telling John that the baptism was fitting for them uh, to fulfill all righteousness. It was a bit of a mysterious statement, but, you know, exactly what that means is not explicit. You know, the death, death of Jesus was in fact a fulfillment of all righteousness. It was the culmination of God's righteous judgment. For the sins of mankind falling on Christ and in turn God's righteousness being imputed to all who believe in Christ by faith. So in some sense the baptism was a symbolic representation of the fulfillment of all righteousness. In 2nd Corinthians 5 and verse 21 we read for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So just like believers baptism depicts what Christ did you know I believe That in some ways when Jesus went into that water, it was depicting what, you know, foreshadowing, looking ahead to what was going to happen to Christ. Because that was the purpose for which he came to the world. And then one more point I'll make is, you know, when Jesus came up from the water, heaven's open and we see this, um, you know, the voice from heaven, right? Let me take you back to Philippians 2 verse 8, which says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then the next phrase says, therefore. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now what we read here in the baptism narrative is that right after the baptism, Jesus coming out of the water and Mark explicitly places the descending of the Spirit And the voice of God immediately, right, coming up from the water. Immediately coming up from the water, the Spirit, heavens open and the Spirit descends. So we see God exalting him by affirming Jesus. Jesus as his beloved son. And he is well pleased in his beloved son. So the obedience of Christ in fulfilling his mission of giving up his life. Was the reason for his exaltation. That's what we saw in Philippians 2. You know, because he died, you know, therefore God has highly exalted him. God was pleased with the sacrifice of Christ. And perhaps, you know, when we put all that together, coming out of the water, the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, immediately after he has foreshadowed his death, his burial, his resurrection, you know, the Spirit of God comes upon him and the heavens open up and God proclaims and affirms who he is and the pleasure that he has in him and the work that he is about to undertake so ultimately you know what was Jesus' uh, baptism about right when we look at it it was it was really an initiation ceremony for his ministry on earth uh, initiation ceremony that was held by all three persons of the godhead to affirm the start of the final chapter of the consummation of God's plan for the salvation of mankind. The baptism of Jesus was a divine event. You know, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. You know, the people around Jesus, all they saw was another man, just like the hundreds who were coming and going into the water, getting baptized and coming out. There was nothing different about it from the vantage point of the people that were around him. But John, he saw a bit more. He saw the descending of the Holy Spirit But only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead were witness to the full event. And it was a divine initiation of the earthly ministry of Christ that would that would change the course of it. It was God affirming and endorsing Christ as his son, incarnated into the world as a man and anointing him for his ministry and his mission of paying for the sins of mankind and drawing many back to God. It indicates for us how important was the work of Jesus on earth. You know, how important it was to the Godhead. How integral it was to the plan of the Godhead. We've been studying through the whole counsel of God from the very beginning. You know, this was God's plan. And here we are coming to the culmination of that plan, the death of Jesus Christ. And before that, the incarnation and the beginning of his ministry. And so the Godhead is celebrating, initiating, announcing, affirming the work that Jesus was about to undertake. And I just want to praise God that, that through the historian Luke and the other gospel writers, you know, God has shared this with us so that we can see what the mission of Christ meant to the Godhead. The people there didn't see that. They didn't, they were not witnesses until it was written down in the gospel many years later. So let's quickly just go through a few applications. So yeah, I'll just bring those up. So I want three applications before us. Okay. First of all what we can see when we look at this narrative of the the baptism of Jesus. First is that Jesus was in constant communication with the Father. You know, even as he came up out of the water, he was praying. Throughout his life, we see him praying, communing constantly with the Father. Let me ask you this. How much are you and I in communion with God? What kind of a prayer life do we have? What is our relationship with God the Father? How intimately Do we know him? How connected are we with the ways of God? The second point of application is that we see here God affirming and approving the mission of Christ on earth. You know, God was pleased in his son, Jesus. You know, his son, Jesus, was about to embark on a public ministry wherein he would be reviled and rejected and ultimately crucified. The father was affirming to the son in his humanity that he was pleased with him, pleased with his obedience and his willing acceptance to carry out the plan of salvation. He was pleased with the mission that Christ was on. Let me ask this, what is it that we are doing with our lives? What is our mission? You know, God has placed all of us here, you know, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ for a mission. And it's not to just live our lives as ordinary, you know, like like all the people do around us. You know, what is our mission in life? Is it You know, is it a mission that God would affirm? Is it a mission to, you know, just live normal lives, making some money, going on, you know, having some kids, uh, educating them, you know, having a good house, having a good job? Or is it a mission that God would affirm? I would encourage each of us to just think through the mission of our lives. You know, Jesus' mission, when God looked upon him there, coming out of that water, the fact that he was going to die for the sins of mankind and how... What an important part that was in the, in the overall plan of God. Uh, you know, God announces from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, what would God say about us if he were to, you know, send a voice from heaven? You know, am I pleased with his work? Am I pleased with his life, with his mission in life? Something for us to think about. And then the third thing is that we see a picture of the intimate, loving relationship in the triune godhead right we see the father's intense love for the son my beloved son he calls him we see the father's intense pleasure in the son in you i am well well pleased we see the holy spirit descending on the son depicting the presence of god and the anointing of god for the ministry of jesus you know we as as followers of christ are called to be more christ-like right we are called to be more like uh, like our father god you know, First John 4, 7, 8 says God is love. But what is the context It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He who doesn't love does not know God, for God is love. You know, that whole, that whole passage is in the context of loving your fellow believers. You see the love relationship in the Godhead. You know, how much love do we have for our fellow believers? Do we are we willing to sacrifice? You know, we are called to sacrificially love. You know, husbands are called to sacrificially love their wives. Believers are called to sacrificially love each other. Do we bear their burdens? Do we encourage and lift them up? So these are just three things we can think about. You know, how much are we in communion with God? What kind of prayer life do we have? What is the mission in our life? What would God say about what we are doing? What we what the goals of your life and my life are. Would he affirm it with the word that, you know, that I am pleased, I take pleasure in what this son or this daughter of mine is doing? And thirdly, how much love do we have for our fellow believers? So with that, we'll move on to the next uh, next narrative, which is the, the genealogy of Jesus. So we find that John places this genealogy before the account of the temptation. And this is somewhat, sorry, not John, but Luke. This is somewhat unique to Luke. Uh, and it reminds us that Jesus was tempted as a man, right? It shows us that that though he was a man like all of us, like all men, uh, he was also God and he was free of sin, right? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of the genealogy, uh, but I'll just touch on a few points and we'll wrap up here. Uh, You know, a few things that we see in Luke's genealogy is that Matthew starts at Abraham, uh, that's in the past, and works his way down to Christ. So he starts at Abraham and works his way down to Christ. Luke, on the other hand, he starts with Christ and works his way back to, all the way to Adam, right? So Matthew starts at Abraham because he was focused on showing Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Luke was focused on showing Jesus as not just the Jewish Messiah, but also uh, a man. And representative of all mankind. And so he goes all the way back to the father of humanity. Which is the first man Adam. right? Later on in Romans we find Jesus called as the the second Adam. right? Because the first Adam sinned. But the second Adam by his righteousness. He counteracted the the negative impacts of the sin of the first Adam. And Matthew gets from David to Jesus through Solomon. So Solomon the son of David and Matthew. That's how he makes the, the, the trail down to Jesus. Um, But Luke gets from David to Jesus through another son, which is a son of David called Nathan. So from David to Abraham, both are exactly the same. But between David and Jesus, uh, the two genealogies, they connect back at certain points and then they diverge. You know, they connect back at Zerubbabel, who was chosen as one of the leaders of the group of exiles returning from Persia. And so there there are many differences here. Right. There are differences at various points and they seem like contradictions. Now, Joseph in Matthew is presented in Matthew's genealogy is presented as the son of Jacob. Um, but in Luke, Joseph is listed as the son of Heli. Right. Now, you know, uh, I'll talk about that in a second. But in the genealogy of Christ, we find all kinds of characters. Right. There are heroes and there are zeros as well. Right. There are people whose life is a complete mixed bag Uh there are people whose lives were successes and who were failures uh, and what we see is god working through the lives of all manner of people to ultimately fulfill his purpose but coming back to this point of the differences in the two genealogies sometimes we get all wrapped up in trying to uh, trying to reconcile these genealogies um, and i'm not going to try to do that today okay uh, maybe if you want to know, you can go and talk to Brother LD or Ben or someone. I'm sure somebody has done a PhD on this, right, LD, on the difference in the genealogies. Okay, um, but there are a lot of things that in in Jewish the way that the Jewish culture did genealogies that could explain this. For for example, okay, sometimes they would skip a generation, so you know, it would list uh, uh, someone as being the son of their Actually, not their father, but their grandfather. Right. So this could explain some of the differences. Uh, there was the concept of the levirate marriage, where you know if uh, if somebody dies without children, the a close relative—you—you you, this happened with Boaz and and um, and Ruth, right? A, a close relative would would marry that person, that 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 woman, and bear children to the name of the the deceased relative. Okay. So in those cases, sometimes they would they would put you in the genealogy of the deceased relative sometimes they would put you in the genealogy of your birth parent right so some say that luke's genealogy is through mary even though it doesn't mention mary and others uh say that maybe heli was a grandfather of both joseph and mary see i don't think any of this really matters we know that genealogies can be different for very valid reasons and the scripture doesn't try to reconcile this for us right so we don't know exactly what reasons might have contributed to the differences between Matthew and Luke, and to try to resolve such detail, it misses the larger point. And what is that larger point? The genealogy, the key point, the larger point is that both of these genealogies, whether it's the one in Matthew or the one in Luke, they establish Jesus as going, as being in the Abrahamic line through David, okay, as the Messiah, and Luke establishes his connection all the way back to Adam, the father of. Of all humanity, so the key point of this genealogy of the one here is that it provides it it proves that Jesus fulfills three key prophecies, okay one is that the prophecy in the Garden of Eden that he would that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, right He was the seed of the woman he is a son of Adam, right through this this tracing of the genealogy. The second was a prophecy to Abraham that in Abraham. All the nations of the earth would be blessed, right? He was a son of Abraham. And the third is a prophecy to David that his son would be the Messiah and rule the world. And Jesus was the son of David, no matter how you look at it. And so what we find in the genealogy here, Luke is presenting to Theophilus the fact that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these prophecies of this this plan that God had we, we, we heard about it this morning. Bobbin started us off by talking about the plan that God envisioned before the foundation of the world. right? That plan, the central character in that plan was the Lord Jesus. So how what can we apply? First one is that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was a fulfillment of the most important promise that God ever made to mankind. And that was to provide a Redeemer. A Redeemer who would give humanity a path back to a relationship with God, and to fill the void that is in our hearts. Let me ask you this. You know, have you taken this path? You know, who is Jesus to you? And have you found the path back to your creator God? You know, is Jesus just a great leader? Is he just a great teacher with great ideas? Or is he something more? And I just want to apply, I just want to to, uh, appeal rather to anyone here who doesn't know this Jesus as their Savior. You know, Jesus' ministry on earth, just to conclude, he was not an ordinary man. His ministry on earth was very short, but it was the most important chapter in God's plan of redemption. Now, what can we learn from the passage that we've studied this morning? Number one, Jesus was not an ordinary man. He was a son of God. He was a seed of the woman, representing all of humanity, sent to the world as a man to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. If you have not trusted in his finished work of salvation, you know, today is the day. Behold, now is the time. May the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin and may you turn to him. And then as believers, you know, we are called to become more Christ-like in our character and our nature. To constantly be in communion with God through prayer, through reading his word. To have a mission for our lives that pleases God, that advances his kingdom and that allows us to keep our eyes on eternal things to show to each other and to unbelievers the love that characterizes the godhead and i hope that we would be encouraged in this that we would you know and i just want to close if i can ask sergeant to come back and 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 help us out with this uh, with the song can we please put up number 447 number 447 we'll just close Uh, And as soon as I put it up, I want to just focus on on one verse here. And this is a song about devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. You know, hopefully by studying this, this narrative of the baptism of Christ in particular, we understand that, what jesus did for us was the most important thing in the plan of god right it's the ultimate thing it is what gives us life and how are we to respond to that that's what the songwriter has put with every breath i long to follow jesus for he has said that he will bring me home he didn't just die for us since he has promised us eternity in the presence of god and day by day i know he will renew me until i stand with joy before the throne and as we sing this let's think about examine our own lives you know am i longing to follow jesus with every breath that i have am i being renewed day by day by the holy spirit and i want us to just think about this as we stand up and we'll sing this song together what gift of grace is jesus my redeemer heavenly father we want to thank you for our lord jesus christ we want to thank you lord for this beloved son of yours father the one who came to this world who though it required him to give up his life he willingly he obeyed your command father and he submitted to your will and just as he went down into that water and came up again Lord after declaring on that cross it is finished the work of salvation the work of redemption was complete Father, we were reminded this morning that your voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Lord, we want to thank you, first of all, for this great salvation that is ours. We want to thank you, Lord, that the chains have been broken. We want to thank you, Father, that we are no longer under bondage. But we also, Father, want to pray that we may run the race that you have ordained for us, that as you look, At our lives, Father, that just as you said about your son, this is my beloved son, that your words regarding every one of us, Father, might be, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That you can declare, welcome my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Lord, yet we have to admit, Father, that our lives fall so far short. Lord, we neglect our communion with you, Lord. Father, we neglect to frame our lives around the mission that you have ordained for us to advance your kingdom. To keep our eyes on eternal things, Lord. We are distracted by the world. And we see our Savior, the Messiah. He wasn't distracted by anything. He wasn't distracted by the glory the people wanted to bring to him. He wasn't distracted by the demands to be made the king, a king on earth, Father. He set his face like a flint towards the cross and he traveled that path. Lord, we pray, Father, that that with every breath we may follow Jesus. I want to pray for every person here, Lord, that you would... Touch our hearts today that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves. Father, every one of us is falling short of what you desire in different ways. Reveal it to us, Lord. Show us, Father, what you would have us change, what you would have me change in my life, in each of our lives, Father. And we pray that in the strength of your Holy Spirit, we might be able to move forward fulfilling the mission That you have for us. I thank you again for this time. We pray that you will bless each one here today. And touch their lives. In the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.